right, Renaissance, happy Father's Day. Anybody else a biker here? Yeah, no, no? What's wrong with you people? Man, oh man, you gotta get some youth to you. <laughs> it was fun to do that. I had no idea how long it took to get a, I don't know what that was, a 30 second video to do it, but Chris did it over and over and <laughs> over again. I learned how to ride my motorcycle while he was doing that thing. Well, happy Father's Day. I trust this is going to be a great day for you. I'm looking forward to time with our kids and our grandkids. In fact, our son is here this morning, and I thank God for him. He just got his trucker's driving license, and that is very difficult. Give it up for John. Yeah, going to ride one of those rigs around the country. I'm so proud of him because he stuck with that, and it's not easy to do that. Well, it's Father's Day, and... Uh, I want to complete this statement. Every family needs, please, you don't have to be a father to, to uh, think through this one. You can fill in the blank yourself easy enough. Every father needs, uh, or every family needs, uh, uh, every family needs a break from school. Yeah? And, and here's the other part. Every family needs the kids to go back to school. Right? Yeah, I thought so. Every family needs a vacation. Every family needs a good church. Every family needs a... Uh, uh, neighbors who are friendly, every family needs, this is Father's Day, and because I want to talk about Father's Day, I want to fill it in myself. So let me fill it in by saying every family needs the right kind of man. I mean it. Everything I know, I'm 71 years old. I'm old enough to have seen a lot of families, a lot of people. I'm telling you what, every family needs the right kind of man. I had that kind of man in my life. He was my dad. And uh, you ask me, you ask John uh, what my dad was like. He was that kind of man. You know, he never went to college. He got through high school. But boy, he taught me more about uh, how to be a man than anybody else I've ever met in my life. He never taught my Sunday school class, but he taught me what it was like to act like Jesus towards other people. He, uh, he didn't have letters after his name or before his name, but when he saw something that was wrong, no matter who was doing the wrong, he was ready to stand up in our little town of Washingtonville, New York, and say, no, no. Every family needs the right kind of man. Every family needs the right kind of man. We're looking at one of those men today from the Bible, and uh, his name is Noah. And the reason why I went to Noah is because I've been listening online to the message series and have been here, in fact, for at least one of those that Clay has been giving, and that is being set apart. What it means to be holy, uh, misunder term, misunderstood term so much in our world, but, but what it means to be holy, it means to be set apart for God's purposes. And, and what I wanted to do was link the picture of uh, Father's Day and being set apart, and I couldn't help but think of this guy, Noah. Now, you know Noah. You saw it in the movies, didn't you? wasn't it wasn't real accurate but you you saw it yeah well th there's a the original movie is in the book of genesis okay and the picture of noah in the book of genesis is in some ways different than the one that uh, you saw in the movie noah lived in funny times in really demanding times in times when uh, the rebelliousness on the face of the earth the bible says was so severe that uh, god determined to wipe away 
men and women and children on the face of the earth. This is extreme. I know that. I understand that. But that's exactly what it was, except for Noah. Picture's given to us in Genesis chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 10. You'll see them on the screen, or you may want to look on your own phone or your own Bible and see what it says there. Let me read it to you. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is Father's Day, and I know that. I want to talk to men in particular, uh, not just fathers, because I think there's a a sense in which uh, because there are so many fathers absent from uh, homes in our country at this particular time, and for a lot of reasons, some of them justified, some not, but they're not there, either physically or psychologically. Uh, I am convinced that other men can fill in much of the role, maybe not the whole thing, but maybe the combination of, of men can fill in the spot that's been left vacant in so many cases in the home. So if you're an uncle... I want to talk to you today. If you're a neighbor, really have a message for you today. This is not just about men who have had biological children or adopted children. This is about men at Renaissance Church, and this is about men uh, in the workplace. This is about men in a small group that meets in a home. This is just about men, and ladies, you're welcome to uh, listen in. Please don't go to sleep because I get sleepy when you do, and so does your husband if he's sitting next to you. And please no elbows. Okay? Deal. Deal. This is for us to deal with because we've got too big a job for us. And what we need, what I need and I get, is encouragement, not critique. And I know sometimes I need to be critiqued. I get that too. And Ilona's good at that. But she's better at encouraging. And I hope that's true with you as well. So let's go to the scriptures and find out what it is about Noah that strikes me at least as being the kind of man, the right kind of man, uh, for a family. There's only two ideas that I have, and let me share them with you as quickly as I can. Uh, the first thing that I see in Noah is that, that he's a man who belongs to God. In fact, what you find if you look carefully in the scriptures about Noah and comments about him is not his failure at the end of his life after all these things took place. That's there, and that has to be dealt with, and that has to be dealt with, with by him. So, so, But what you see is, when you go to a place like Ezekiel, thousands of years later, and the prophet speaks in Ezekiel, and here's what he says. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its men and their animals. Listen to this. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness. Now, that's an amazing statement about these three men. If you're here next week, we're going to look at Daniel, because he's another one who is set apart uh, as a man in a culture that wants him to do all kinds of things in the wrong direction, like your culture, yeah, L like my culture. And Daniel finds the right drummer, and he, he walks to that drummer. But here we are, Noah, Daniel, and Job, those three men, so that uh, God will bring judgment. But even Noah, Daniel, and Job, as 
as righteous as they are, cannot keep the judgment from coming upon the culture and the people, though they themselves could be saved as a result of their righteousness. That's what I mean when I say Noah belongs to God. He, he belongs to God. In fact, when you go back to the passage I read in Genesis, you'll see it says in verse 9, he was blameless among the people of his time. Now, that's, that's some description. And that's where the weight gets heavy, doesn't it? The weight gets heavy if I think that I have to be perfect, and that's what blameless sounds like to me. So, so I get that. I understand that. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that everybody agreed with him or that they liked him. It, it doesn't mean that he was always right or thought he was always right. It doesn't mean that he was sinless or thought he was sinless. That's not the connotation of the word here, blameless among the people of his time. It just means he's a man of integrity. Okay? He keeps his word. The handshake is enough for Noah. He doesn't need the other things, though the culture might demand them. Noah's got something going on inside of him. He's a different kind of man, so he keeps his word. He doesn't cook the books. He doesn't sleep around. He doesn't take advantage of people. Of course, it, it's not only what he doesn't do, but when you talk about a man like Noah, you've got to think about what he does do, and what he does do is he helps people. He stands by them. He treats them like they are created in the image of God and likeness of God, which they are, but we sometimes forget, yes, yeah, and we label people, and when we label people, we cancel out this idea, oh, wait a minute, she's made in the image and likeness of God. That's got to inform the way I respond to them. It's got to inform what I say on Facebook. It's got to inform what I, what I do in terms of them because he's made in the image and likeness of God, and, and a, a man who is blameless treats a person like that. And the interesting thing is for me, sometimes people notice that, and sometimes it's even registered as something, oh, that's good, that's good. That's the way it was when Jesus, when he was growing up. Luke chapter 2, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. With God and men, because of the way he lived. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the believers were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, that didn't last. I, I, I understand that. They kept praising God, and people saw them as judging them and all kinds of things, and then, then the tide turned, and they became the persecuted church, like the church in much of the world today. But there are times, thank God, when, when people will see you and say, that's what we need, right, right there. That's, that's what we need. Noah was blameless among the people of his time. Probably, if we were going to put it in our language, we'd say, he was a good man. You know what I mean? When we say it that way, he was a good man. We don't mean he's perfect. We don't mean that he thinks he's perfect. We don't, we don't mean any of that. We just mean he's a good man. And we want to follow after a, a man like that. Well, that's what a family needs. Family needs a good man. Verse 9 of that same chapter says that Noah walked with God. And what I want to say this morning is that's why he was a good man. Because he had this foundation that he was committed to in terms of the way to live. And because he had the power that comes from the God who gave him that foundation to do the things that were hard in life. That's why he was a good man. Because he walked with God. And that's what it says. I had a prof in seminary who used to take us on what he called peripatetic walks. And peripatetic walks were really teaching times. Only we didn't take any books with us. We just talked about life. 
And it was rich because there were about a half a dozen of us in his small group in the first year of seminary, and he'd take us all over the place. And this man had more languages under his belt than I have words under my belt. But, but boy, he just talked to us about life and what it was like and how we can respond and how we can deal with these things in the midst of seminary and life. That's peripatetic walking. Now, if you take that picture of walking with my prof and you transfer it over and you say, what's it like to walk with God? Well, that very quickly you become aware that it's a give and take kind of relationship, that it's a, there's a warmth there, there's a correction there to when it's needed. There's, a, uh, there's an input and there's a expressing my heart and there's a freedom and there's an openness when I walk with God like that. Reminds me of a, a man from India who happens to be staying at our neighbor's house in our condo association and uh, <laughs> he's out there walking with his grandson and last time I saw him he was uh, with his grandson. His grandson's on the curb, so his grandfather has to hold him. And I want to tell you, he goes the pace of his grandson. He's not tugging him along. He's, he's with him, and he's, there's something happening between that man down through those, that arm and that hand and that hand and that arm, I'll bet, into the heart of that boy because he's walking with him. That's what he's doing. He's pouring his life into that little boy. It's a precious sight. Same thing happens when I walk with God and hold his hand. Same thing. I not only find out what's right, but I find out I can get the power I need to do what's right, even when it's painful and it hurts. I'm surprised that the Bible doesn't talk more about walking with God. Micah, I think it's chapter 6, verse 8, says uh, that we are supposed to walk humbly with our God. Okay, but there's only two places in the Bible that talks about people really walking with God. I'm really surprised. It talks about walking before God and walking in obedience to God, uh, those kinds of things plenty of times, but only two places. One of them is here. The other one is one chapter before this in Genesis 5, and it's Enoch. And you know what happened to Enoch because he walked with God. He was taken up. He didn't have to experience death. It's the only two places, but it's a rich picture and one that I can relate to, and I suspect that you can. And it's that walking with God that somehow transmits the knowledge of what I need to be doing in the midst of life and gives me the strength and the courage to say no or to say yes where I need to say no and where I need to say yes. Guys, I hope somebody says you're that kind of man. I, I hope when you're in that grave, there'll be people standing beside and they say, he was a good man. He wasn't perfect. He blew this or he blew that or he blew that. But boy, he was a good man. Uncle Bill, you are a good man. Tony living next door, you were a good man when I was growing up. Bill Burgess, another man from my childhood, he was a good man. First man that I heard about who died that I knew personally, and I wept like a baby. Why? Because Bill Burgess was a good man. That's what Noah is. He's a good man. I need to set my heart on being a man who's connected with God. The other thing I see in Noah is uh, something that we need in our families, and that is a man who protects his families. And by the way, that too is part of Noah's legacy, that down through the years, centuries later, people look back at Noah and they said, yeah, took care of his family. Hebrews chapter 11 is the record of great men and women down through the ages who walked with God and did the kinds of things they were supposed to. Not perfectly. I reinforced that because nobody expects that. But when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, 
We read, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. To save himself? Sure. To save the animals two by two? Yeah. To obey God? Yeah. But the writer of Hebrews zeroes in on one aspect of what he saved. His family. Why? Because men are called to protect their families. That's, that's who I am. That's what I'm supposed to be. My primary role is to protect my family. In, in fact, if you circles, you get circles going and you, and you put your family in that, that center circle, that's your primary role is to protect them. And then you add other circles and you can see the, see the outline of them. It might be your community or it might be your larger family or it might be your, your town or it might be your country or it might be your, your, your nation or it might be the environment. But right at the very center of my calling is to protect my family, is to take care of my family, to rescue them when they need to be rescued, to guide them. When, and I'm not talking about being a dictator but I am talking about being a, a protector. Adam didn't protect Eve. His first sin was not eating the fruit. Adam's first sin was being a passive man. That, that's the problem with Adam. Because if he hadn't been a passive man and backed away from the challenge, she likely wouldn't have eaten the fruit, nor would he. But it's easy to be a passive man, I know, I have been one of those, but down through the years that I've been in ministry, some 40 years now, I have woman after woman after woman whose husband is missing for whatever reason, good, bad, indifferent, but who, who is longing for a man to protect her and her family. And, and that's not only because that's not only because a man is typically larger than a woman. It's not a physical thing. It's an assignment from God. It's something God tells me to do. Dads, protect your family. Uncles, boy, join in in protecting those families. Neighbors, protect those families. Our daughter Amy leads a ministry uh, in North Jersey that has five centers, and they, they minister to young women who are either pregnant out of marriage or living risky lives, so they do sonograms and they do, they do uh, STD testing and things like that. And, and Amy has told me almost invariably when a, a young woman comes in, a teenager comes in, and, and they have them as young as 13 who come in to be tested and those kinds of things. When, when, when she comes in, almost invariably, there is something missing between her and her dad. Almost invariably. You, you can't say 100%. And it's not all the dad's fault. I don't mean to do that. It's not all his responsibility, but, but that's the testimony of somebody who's seen thousands of young women come into centers either pregnant or living a risky life. She says there's something missing between them and dad. 2006, the cover article for Newsweek was the, the boy crisis. If I remember correctly, the boy crisis, yeah. And it was talking about the fact that, and this is more now than it was then, but, but it was talking about the fact that boys are, are falling behind girls in school and struggling. And at least a part of that is a man crisis it's not just a boy crisis it's a man crisis in that article there were a couple things that leaked out to me one of them was where they said an adolescent boy without a father figure is like an explorer without a map <laughs> i mean i can i can understand that adolescent boy without a father figure see that uncles and neighbors and small group leaders a father figure 
Okay, you see that, single moms? I know he's gone. I, I get that. I understand. But other men can help. And somehow the church has to address the boys and the girls who need a father figure. Somehow. We didn't do that very well at Millington. I was never able to make that happen. It was one of my greatest regrets in life. But maybe you can do it. I pray you can. A, a second statement in that same article was one of the most reliable predicators of whether a boy will succeed or fail in high school rests on a single question. Does he have a man in his life to look up to? And again, it's not father, though that's probably the best option. But does he have a man? A, a man, not just a man, but a man he can look up to. The kind of man that Noah was, the kind of man that we're talking about. Let me leave you with a couple of books because I like books and, and I need help. I need all the help I can get. That's why I read. And, and I pass along books because I think men and women need all the help they can get too. One is by Meg Meeker. She's a, a pediatrician, I think. Uh, she wrote a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. If you've got a daughter, boy, <laughs> I tell you, it's a great book. Tremendous challenge in that book. And she knows, she's seen uh, young girl after young girl after young girl come through her practice. She knows what's needed there. And it's a hard time for young girls. A second one that really helped me was Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. If you want a book that talks about how God designed men and how God designed women, you don't have to buy into everything he says. I, I know that. But boy, it puts it into categories that I can understand and I can relate to and I can seek to become the man that God wants me to be. And it's been a tremendous help to me. And I recommend it to you because I think you need the same help I need. And I need help. And I'm at a different phase of my fathering now because I'm a grandfather and I've got grown children. So I'm, I'm, it's different than it was 20 years ago. But I still need help because it's different. It's changed. Get a book. Read a book. It's good for you. God wired men to protect their families. That's what we're called to do. But the truth is that it will not be easy. And I'd like to have to take a look at Noah before we quit in terms of what I mean by that. You've got to be willing to pay the price if you're going to protect anybody. And a man or a dad in particular who's going to protect his family is going to have to pay the price. And by that I mean he's going to have to at least, he's going to have to become aware of the opportunities for his family and he's going to have to become aware of the threats to his family. So it's the opportunities and it's the threats and he's responsible at least in part, to know what's going on. Me? I'd rather stick my head in the sand. <laughs> you can relate to that, can't you? Yeah, I'd, I'd just rather hope it all turns out okay. Because it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of concentration to find out what's going on. But the dad of today had better know what's going on in Timber and in Snapchat. Yeah. Better know what's going on on the television and, and what's going on on the, on, on the, on the computer and, and better know what my kids' friends' homes are like and, and has to know what, why my, my, my son doesn't seem to be able to think straight or my daughter doesn't have why she has marks on her arms and, and the influence that her friends are having. And that's going to be hard and that's sometimes invasive. And, and I know that it changes as they grow older. I, I get that. You have to withdraw your hands. I, I understand that. But I'll tell you what, it's a dangerous world that our kids are living in. 
And I'm scared to death for my grandchildren. But I'm counting on my son-in-law, and as long as I have a chance to do it, to be a part of their life and to bring good into their lives and watch out for the dangers and look for the opportunities. That's a dad's job. He's going to protect his family. But that's part of the cost. You've got to become aware. When Jesus talks about the people in Noah's day, he has some uh, really tough words to say about them. If I go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, it says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. That's Jesus' return. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Incredibly sad, not aware, and some of it has to be, I don't want to look. I'm not going to look. We need men who are willing to pay the price and be aware. Man's going to protect his family. He's got to listen to God. <laughs> got to have somehow, somehow connecting with God because the truth is, when I talk about becoming aware, I get, I get the weight on my shoulders and I feel like, I can't do that. Come on. If I listen to God, I'll find out what I need to be looking at and what I don't need to be looking at. I'll get direction in terms of what's most important for me as a dad or as a granddad or as an uncle or as a brother or as a cousin. And I'll be able to discern. I can't do everything, but I have to do the right things and I have to do them well. So I better find out from the God of creation who knows exactly what I need to do and how to do it. So I've got to become aware. And I become aware and I refine what I do because I've listened to God. And then, then finally, if I'm going to protect my family and pay the, pay the price, I've got to step up to the plate. Now, <laughs> if you think about Noah, you, you know darn well that there's a lot of people laughing at him at this point in life. They haven't had rain before. He's building an ark. Come on, Noah. Who laughs? Kids? Sure. The folks down the street? Of course. People at the shop? Yeah. Mrs. Noah? Maybe. Yeah, of course. This is ridiculous. What are you building this boat for? What is it anyway? Oh, it's an ark. What's an ark? What's a boat? What's a boat? Why? Because of floods. What's a flood? You've got to be willing to stand up. You've got to be willing to take the hard times, and you've got to be willing to do them. He steps up to the plate. Noah, Noah knows. Noah knows, so he steps up to the plate, and he takes his turn in doing what he needs to do. That, that's what a, a, a man who is the right kind of man does in his family. He doesn't leave it with his wife. I love to leave it with Ilona when our kids were younger because I worked hard all day, I talked to a million people during the day, and I came home and I didn't want to face what, what Jonathan did or what Amy did. I just didn't want that. Take care of that before I get home. That's not fair. I'll bet there's women who are saying in their hearts, amen, preach it, Peter, preach it. Because you know it's not fair. So I got to take on my part of the responsibility. And there are times when Ilona would have to say, no, daddy's coming home and he'll deal with this when he gets home. And that was my job and I had to accept that. Because if I'm going to be the man God wants me to be in my family, I'm going to stand up when I need to stand up. Not like the guy Norman Rockwell pictured in Sunday morning. See the painting? I love Rockwell's paintings. They're so true to life. You can see what's happening here. 
dad is there uh, reading the Sunday papers, and the kids are going with mom to church, and the girls, they're all ready to go. They're looking straight ahead. But the boy, what's he doing? He's saying, what about dad? What about dad? Dad's going to stay and read the papers. And, and in that instant, that boy's going to get a message that boys stay home and read the paper or play soccer or play baseball. But the girls go to church. It's not intended as a message, but it will be received as a message. No, we don't need those men. We need the kind of men who stand up and give the leadership, who protect their families and do what they need to do. Now you're saying in your heart, it's too big a job. And I'm saying, you're right. You're saying in your heart, I can't do that and work 60 hours at the office and take the train back and forth. I simply can't do that. And I'm telling you, yes, you can. I'm, I'm dead serious. Yes, you can. I've seen men do it. And they may have to adjust some things on the other end, but, but, but if, this is, if this is the most important circle to take care of and protecting, then, then I'm going to have to take care of some of these other ones less so that I can take care of this one on the end. And whatever that price is, I'm going to have to do that. But I'm going to do that because I'm belonging to God. And because I belong to God, I know what's most important, and so I make the decisions that are hard to make. And here's the second part. I link arms with other men who are trying to do the same thing and who are struggling at Renaissance Church or wherever your home church is, and, and they're in the same boat that I am. I am. So I play, I play hockey with them. I, I go to a small group with them. I, I go out to dinner with them. I have coffee some Saturday morning with my, my male friends, my men friends and and we together push each other and then we correct each other and, and then we encourage each other and, and then we give examples of how it worked and then and, and together see no you're not supposed to go out there and do it all alone with jesus you're supposed to do it with jesus but also jesus with flesh on and that's where your friends come in if you're not linking up with men at renaissance or at your home church you're just missing out on part of the army that's going to support you if you do link up so it's not impossible, I'm telling you. It is not impossible. I've seen it too many times to think it's impossible. So I call you to be the men that families need. Fathers, uncles, cousins, friends, brothers, wh whatever it is, to be the men to come along the side of the families to help and encourage in any way that you possibly can. Sold out to God, personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ, seeking the fullness of his Holy Spirit to do what needs to be done. And in that, in that wisdom and that strength that he alone can give, protecting your family. I've got a reading that people in the first service really appreciated. And in fact, many of them asked me to send it to them. So I'm going to do that. I'd do it for you if you have, have that desire. Uh, over the, after the service, just write down your email and I'll be glad to send it to you. I don't know where I got it. It's one of those things, I get everything from somebody else, and I don't know where this one came from, or I tell you who it is. But, but we'll throw it on the screen and see if this isn't what I want to be and what you want to be as well. Let's go with it. My calling is sure, my challenge is big, my vision is clear, my desire is strong, my influence is eternal, my impact is critical, my values are solid, my faith is tough. My mission is urgent. My purpose is unmistakable. My direction is forward. My 
heart is genuine. My strength is supernatural. My reward is promised and my God is real. I refuse to be dismayed, disengaged, disgruntled, discouraged, or distracted. Neither will I look back, stand back, fall back, go back, or sit back. I do not need applause, flattery, adulation, prestige, stature, or veneration. I have no time for business as usual, mediocre standards, small thinking, normal expectations, average results, ordinary ideas, petty disputes, or low vision. I will not give up, give in, bail out, lie down, turn over, quit or surrender. I am God's man. That's who I am. And that's who I want to be. Love to ask uh, men to stand for a minute so I can pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Would you stand with me, please? Young men, you're welcome to stand. Doesn't matter if you were father or not. Just men. Let's pray together, please. Knowing some of the men who are here, Lord, I, I know that they have the same thirst and hunger to be the kind of man that's described in that statement, even as I have the same kind of thirst and hunger. I pray that men who have not yet come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith would do that in these moments. Right now, Lord, step over the line of faith and say, yes, Christ, I, I believe who you are. I want to receive you and follow you and know your pardon. And then, Lord, that we would, we would seek in every way to make the Holy Spirit comfortable in our lives, at home, and able to move us left or right, straight forward or back. That we get the encouragement of other men and of women, especially our wives, but of other men in particular at a place like Renaissance Church, and they, we would become slowly, to be sure, but surely that kind of man. Do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Start what needs to be started now, Lord. Continue it as we walk from this place, for we pray in the matchless name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. God bless you.